0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mike Lynch. What's going on? This is Rashad. This is the Sports Sunday Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It is now brought to you on the fan by your local Les Schwab Tire
2: Centers. Doing the right thing since 1952
0: weekends were made for sports how would you like to play for the new england patriots i'd love to a look at the weekend in sports with the inside story on the blazers the ducks and the beavers everyone meet freelance alien bounty hunter shannon sharp shannon sharp the football guy yeah i hunt aliens now used to catch tds now i catch ets you ever caught an alien shannon not yet mr question but i'll let you know when i do This is Sports Sunday with Mike Lynch. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Look at this room. What a beautiful room. Have you seen this room?
3: Yes, we're in it.
0: And Rashad Taylor. Okay, dude, I can see you don't want to be cheered up here. Come on, Donnie, let's go get us a land. On ESPN Sports Radio 1080, The Fan.
1: Hour two of two here on Sports Sunday. Mike Lynch, Rashad Taylor with you until eleven o'clock this morning. Jesse Osmond here as well behind the glass. This hour we will do Hate It or Love It, which we always do at ten thirty. See who wins the segment around the horn style, and then we'll, uh, the, the winner gets to choose what the last segment is. And then uh, we'll also talk, uh, or do Rashad's rant coming up next, which we've been starting to do the last few weeks and uh, turns into a very interesting segment. Rashad is a very passionate man over there. I am. Full of passion. a passionate fellow. Um, but here we will do a little baseball discussion, but it's not going to be as much about baseball as it is going to be about records. Something happened yesterday that was truly special to a player who is truly special, and yet I feel like nobody really cares, or at least they care at a very minimal level. Albert Pujols hit his 600th home run in his career yesterday on a grand slam, no less, by the way in perfect Albert Pujols fashion, to become what might be potentially the last player in a very long time to reach that milestone. Um, I kind of have two general Albert Pujols takes that I've thought about this week and even discussed a little bit on the baseball show on Wednesday. A, he might be the most underappreciated player of all time. If you look at his stats, they are absolutely obscene just how good of a player he is. Even in his decline years in L.A. right now, he's still hitting really well for a baseball player. But in, in his years in St. Louis, he didn't hit worse than like 310 any year. He didn't hit less than 32 home runs any year. He didn't less, hit less than 103 RBIs any year in St. Louis. That is obscene, and nobody talks about it. But 600 home runs is obscene. Only nine players now in the history of baseball have hit 600 home runs. Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, Alex Rodriguez, Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., Jim Tome, Sammy Sosa, Albert Pujols. The only players in baseball history to hit 600. And people are looking at it as if it's nothing. This is not nothing. This might be the last time we see 600 ever. It might be. Yeah. We need to
2: appreciate this more. Absolutely, we do. And I I think more than that, you need to appreciate Albert Pujols more. And like, I'm as I look at his stats now, it's insanity. It's it's insane to think, you know, when he left St. Louis and went to went to Los Angeles, that you you thought his numbers would go down, and they did. Because when he left St. Louis, he hit 37 home runs, and then the next year in L.A., he hit 30, Mm -hmm. and then he hit 37, and then his lowest number, his lowest total, was last year, and he hit 19 home runs. And so uh, I think it's really important to talk well, he about. Had la- he had 31 that was, last that year. That was in his 15th season that he hit his uh that 19 home runs. And he's already got um Well no, no you're looking
1: well,
0: at double. No, I'm
2: sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. He had 31 home runs. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. Only 31 home runs <laughs> in, in his in his uh 15th season. So you gotta look at what this man has been able to do and really the longevity, you know, not really being hurt very often. You know, there was the one year and he yeah, had the plantar fasciitis issue yeah, back you know, in
1: 2013. Only played 99 games, 17
2: still 17 homers, but-, but but outside of that, you know, you're looking at what's been the model of consistency. And then also in an era where uh, you know, was he juicing? Was he not juicing? There,
1: there were the comments from St. Louis radio that were saying they saw him yeah. getting juiced which were never proved. But you always have that in the back of your
2: head when the guy's that good is how many steroids is he on? You know, and I think he's the one. But he's
1: had nothing tied to him outside of that
2: accusation. And I think he's the one guy that kind of continues to just kind of evade any type of you know, steroid controversy because uh, of the I current players, yeah. Of, of all, yeah. of all the current players I and mean, all like, the guys, that, at least all the guys that have been great hitters and really, you know, really strong hitters over the past. Griffey has evaded decades. it. Jeter evaded has, it. But again, why? Chipper evaded it. Why? Because these are all just great guys, man. You just kind of like Jeter and you kind of like Griffey and, you know, you just like Albert Pujols. Barry Boss, not so much. Mark McGuire was kind of an A hole. So there are certain – the guys that that were in the the steroid controversy and things like that, yeah, you didn't really like them anyway. So it was okay, Ralphie Palmero. Like, I I don't really care for you that much anyway. But I don't think Pujols did it because I like Pujols. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's where he's been for most of his his career. It's just kind of never under that suspicion of whether you cheated or not. I, I implore
1: you to look at the baseball reference stats for him. Great website, by the way, if you don't use it. They have it for all sports, too. All reference. All sports reference. Good job. RandomSport.reference. It's it's a great site. Everything that's in black on his page means he led the league that year. His time in St. Louis was just filled with bold font, where he led the league in runs five times. He led the league in homers a couple of times, uh, doubles once, hits once, batting average once, OPS three times. And I want to say he finished in – like, I think he got a couple – yeah, he got three MVPs while he was in St. Louis and a Rookie of the Year award. He is an incredible player. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. But – so he, you're right. He's, he's a guy we need, to, we need to give more respect to in that Absolutely. sense. But I, one, the one thing I really want – I want to harp on this a little bit is people are looking at 600 like, well, of course he hit 600 home runs. Well, go to the list of home run leaders and tell me who's next to hit 600. You'll be very hard-pressed to find somebody who will. There's only one person right now who could conceivably get there, and that is the next active player on the list, Miguel Cabrera. He's 34, but he has 451 home runs. Now, it's possible if he plays till he's 40 and he hits 30 a year, he can get up to 600. But Cabrera this year, through two months, has hit five. Two years ago, in 119 games played, he hit 18. He's slowing down a little bit. Yes, he had 38 last year, but he's not consistently hitting it like he was earlier in his in his time in Detroit where he was hitting 44 44, you know, going off. He's not Albert Pujols. He's not a 30-home a run 30-home run a year guy anymore because he's just getting older. You're seeing it in his body. He's breaking down a little bit. He's getting hurt a little more. He's missing more games. Beyond Miguel Cabrera, every guy on the list of home runs is like 36 plus and they're 200 or more away from 600. Mm -hmm. Those guys are not making it. The next guy who's a possibility is Giancarlo Stanton, who is, uh, where is he? I lost him. He's like 32, or 28, sorry, 27, and he has 223 home runs. He's 350 home runs away, and he's 27. 27. That's that shows you how far away 600 home runs is for one of the most premier power hitters in Major League Baseball right now who also suffers injury issues, Giancarlo Stanton. 600 home runs might not ever be reached again. No, I think this I think And that's we need to appreciate this as maybe the the death of the high home run hitters. Oh
2: yeah, I, I I don't think we'll we'll see it anymore. You know, I think this was I think he's the last of a of a dying breed, the last of the of the real um, power hitters from from that era. Now, you look at guys like Bryce Harper and you look at Mike Trout, and these are guys that presumably maybe in time could do it. I think, what, Trout is, what, 26, somewhere around there? Yeah. Bryce Harper is probably 25, 26, so somewhere yeah. right around there. So these Harper's are guys—
1: 24. That, he has 136.
2: So, you know, you, you've still got a, a, a long way to go. But also, we're talking about baseball where— a lot of times guys, if you take care of your body and especially if you play in the right system, the manager, you know, your manager says that he wants you to be a DH or whatever the case is, you can, you know, prolong your your career and, and play until you're forty, much like Jeter did. And so who's to say that a power hitter like Bryce Harper, man, can't rattle off forty a year for the next Ten years, you know, eight years, you know. I, I think that would be he could, yeah. And I, I think if there were any, if there was anybody that could, it'd be either Trout or right. Trout's
1: got one eighty four and he's twenty five. So again, he is good. Uh, you can even look at the like Aaron Judge in his first year is hitting seventeen homers in two months, but he's also older because he's a rookie when he's I think he's already twenty six. So I saw this crazy stat that Aaron Judge right now is twenty six years old. Mike Trout is younger than him and already has a rookie of the year in, like, three MVPs. <laughs> that's how good Mike Trout is, right, just to give reference to this year. So if anybody's going to do it, it's probably going to be one of those two, or Stanton maybe, right, of the younger guys. But it's, that's insane because you just kind of look at 600 like, oh, yeah, you know, Tomei did it. Ortiz was close when he retired. Pujols did it. Uh, all these guys who were a- – A-Rod did it, of course. A-Rod almost got to 700. All oh, these guys are at 600 home runs.
2: No. So <laughs> That's so not the case so anymore. with that being said, how much more praise should be placed on the guys that are are in the top 3 with the Ruth and Hank Aaron and and Barry Bonds? Like say what you will about Barry Bonds 762. Nobody's going to hit 600. 762 is we know how
1: good Bonds was before the steroids. The steroids just made him amazing. Right? He was already amazing. They made him an extra level of amazing. I like 762. I'd loan? like to ignore Bonds, but you can't, right? He still hit 762 home runs. He's getting closer and closer to being maybe inducted into the Hall of Fame. If you've seen the voting trends for him, they're increasing for him and Clemens. Um, you're seeing them go up. I think they got 40 or 50% of the I vote think it's, this year. I,
2: I think it's smart just because you can't – unfortunately, you can't deny the time. You know, you, you, it's it was a part – Steroids you were just—I mean—but but it's just—it's just honest, man. Steroids were just a part of the culture, and it's silly to say that we're gonna keep, keep anybody that was a part of this culture at a part of this time frame out of the Hall of Fame. Like you're gonna keep a lot of great, man, influential players, man, out of the Hall of Fame if it's like that. And one of which is Barry Bonds, the other of which is Roger Clemens and Mark McGuire. Like A Rod, probably. A Rod, you know, these are—you the, can't deny that these are the best of the best of the best. So. Yeah, they they might have taken they take them took them, but it was at a time where shoot the umpires were taking them. Everybody was doing it, you know. It was like blowing the '80s and blowing the '70s. Like everybody was just kind of doing it, yeah. You know. So it's I can't be mad at these guys for. And now, am, am I so naive to believe that Griffey, in his entire career, never did it? You hope not. But- I Hope not. But no, would I be shocked if we came out tomorrow that oh well we found 13 tests of Ken would, would I be shocked? No. It's baseball. To play 162 games, you've you got to be a tough SOB. And uh, that's what some yeah. of these things do.
1: You're starting to see the shift in general. Not to completely Good. change the topic from, to the steroid thing, but you're starting to see the shift in general. And I think the Hall of Fame votes is one big part of it is the anger has subsided. You've, you've gone through your five stages of, of a grief, and you're now into the acceptance part, right? People took steroids. You can keep out the steroid users if you'd like. You can be more particular with them. But what you can't deny is that with or without steroids, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, at least those two, and maybe A-Rod, were three of the best players of all time. You can leave McGuire out because McGuire was nothing until he took steroids. You could leave Sosa out because he was nothing until he corked his bat and took steroids. Same with Palmer. All right, They were good players. They were not Hall of Famers. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer. Roger Clemens was a Hall of Famer. A-Rod was a Hall of Famer already. And they took steroids and they made themselves have giant heads and huge muscles and they hit a bunch of home runs and they made themselves elite, but they were still going to be Hall of Famers no matter what. You're starting to see that trend to where people are going, okay, we get it. We don't like it, but we get it. And I think even for me, a guy who used to shun all steroid users, I've I've hit the acceptance part where it's like. Well, good for you. That's called growth, Lynch. I get it, but I don't like it, but they do deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Because they were some of the best players of all time. That's kind of, I feel like we're getting to that point now. There you go. That's good. All right, coming up next, Rashad Rance. This is Sports Sunday on 1080 The Fan.
0: Sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080
1: The Fan. 1021 here. It's a very happy song before Rashad Rant's segment. Maybe he'll be in love a, it. you'll be in a jolly mood for this. I
2: love it. So, yeah. Rashad, what do you got for us?
1: Well, wasn't, I'll,
2: I'll be real. I wasn't as jolly at first. And, I, and I'll also be honest. I didn't really want to do this topic you know, at, at first because I don't want to be I don't want to be militant black guy on, you know, Oregon sports radio, which, you know, has has very few, very little black representation in the first place. So I don't want everything I do to come off as racial or, you know, anything like that. I I, I don't I don't want to do that. You know, I I kind of already understand how it looks. Now, I'm somebody that.
1: I also though just I think it is important to have that perspective on the airwaves too though.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you don't, I, I don't want to be think that person, but I, I
1: think it's important as well.
2: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it could hurt and everything, but I think it's important to, you know, when when important things are, are happen or are bought up, I think it's important to kind of address them. So, um, if you know anything about me, the one thing I do when I'm not here at the radio is I work um, basically with um, in equity and inclusions. I'm a STEM manager, so my job is to make sure I provide. Um, Basically, lots of black and Latino students with opportunities in science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. You know, that's my job. So again, I work a lot in equity. And when I, you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out what equity means and as it pertains to race and some of those things. Something happened this this past week, you know, in, in preparation for the NBA finals. So LeBron James got his L.A. home um, spray paint, vandalized, with, some, with a racial slur. I'm not going to go into it, but I'm pretty sure we know what it is, or have an idea about what it is. He came out as he was interviewed before Game One of the Finals, and basically said, you know, uh, as a, as a black man, you know, race still exists. That's or you know, racism um, still exists. It is still very much a part of the culture here in in the United States. And um, Jason Whitlock, uh, Fox News or Fox, yeah, Fox Sports News, uh, came out and basically said that. And so few words, rich black people don't have the same problems as uh, poor black people as it pertains to race. And my question was, wait, what? Like, so you mean to tell me because you're rich that negates the fact that you may be black? Jason Whitlock is, and you, may, if you follow me on Twitter, then you know that sometimes I go in on this dude. I was about to go in a lot harder the other day, but I thinking about my position here at the station, thinking about some of the some of the kids that actually do follow me on Twitter, I decided I wouldn't do that. But, you know, keep it a little I, level I, 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 I kind I of you know, have to do that. you got it, people you know? who look up to exactly. you. Exactly, and it's, it's important to make sure that I don't, I don't come off as that. That being said, man, Jason Whitlock is the biggest race baiter <laughs> on television. Now, if you don't know what a race baiter is, it's someone who uses the unfair um, unfair use of statements about race trying to influence uh, the actions uh, or attitudes uh, towards a certain group of people, right? So Whitlock constantly makes references to, anytime it comes to a, a black person, he makes sure that it comes off as negative for whatever reason. A lot of people have kind of started knowing him as like the, the self-hating Negro. Or for those of you who have seen... Uh, get out, man, Jason Whitlock to a lot of to me feels like man he's in a sunken place. You know, he's an apologist, a mouthpiece for a racial side of whiteness for the most part. And he thinks he's helping black people when he says these things. He came out and said what LeBron said about Emmett Till's mother as far as having an open casket so the world could see what they what they did to her son. To bring awareness. LeBron said something along those lines and he was like, oh, well, no, don't, don't, you're, you're, you're using that yourself as a victim right now. You're using your victimhood as your platform. But hold on because you came to the rescue of Miss Christine Leahy when she was being victimized or when she was being, uh, what what was the word? She was threatened, I guess, by LeVar Ball during their conversation when he just simply told her, stay in your lane. I have nothing to say to you, madam. You me and you aren't getting along. You could clearly have something against me, but he came to her rescue. Why is it that when this thing happened to LeBron, instead of saying this is a terrible thing and man, this happens all the time, we need to come together as a community and wake up, you made it about LeBron? It's his fault that he was that his property was spray painted and and it's it's things
1: like that and, and what what he said was almost that he doesn't deserve to be
2: mad about this because he's because in a, he's, he's in a good rich. place. Jason Whitlock also said during the same rant that man when he leaves uh, the studio he goes to his fourth story uh, apartment building and hands his keys to a white or a Latino gentleman outside his life is okay. So basically if you're rich then racism mm. isn't a problem. So he's saying he well, hasn't faced racism. Well tell that to Oprah Winfrey. Tell that to Tiger Woods, tell that to anybody who had to overcome in a, in a predominantly white sport or, or or anything like that to be able to make their mark. Tell me it, it doesn't matter then. Like, for Jason Whitlock to be on the stage that he has and for him to have the platform that he has, the things that he says, especially as it pertains to race, he comes off as Uncle Ruckus from the boondocks. If you've never Great seen show, the boondocks, it's a, it's a phenomenal show. But if you've never seen it, go look up Uncle Ruckus, and in a nutshell, that... Is Jason Whitlock. For so, you to say that LeBron basically put himself in a uh, in a victimized place for and he was m- making it okay, it, it makes you look real corny. It, it makes you look real um like you you don't you clearly don't care for black people, but mind you, I look at where he is, Fox News, Fox Sports, is is it is it a whole lot different? Jason Whitlock just happens to be their token. So please, dear white people, don't place too much stock into what Jason Whitlock says. It's not gospel, like he he and he doesn't speak for the majority of African American, Latino, or Arab Muslim or anyone else. Just what, letting you know.
1: So to me, is what it seems like. It and I'm I'm not a Jason Whitlock person. I don't follow him on Twitter. I don't listen to him on TV. I don't Can't care stand him. I don't care, um, probably for good reason. And I'm glad I don't. But uh, I have I have a, a guy I knew at school who hosts in Chicago now, and this was posted on Facebook, which is why I saw it. And he did he kind of went in on Jason Whitlock too for about like eight minutes and he pulled up some quotes from Whitlock for when he was starting. I want to say it was the undefeated was what he was starting. He referenced it as the black Grantland for some reason, but he was basically saying that the whole point of the website was to, to support African-Americans and minorities and boost them up and show the positive light and all that kind of stuff. Right. And now two years removed from that, he's bashing LeBron James for something that was a negative racial attack on him. So to me, what Jason what Jason Whitlock appears to me is whatever he sees that's related to race, he's going to find the thing that's going to get him the most attention. Absolutely. Negative or positive, whatever. He's going to find the thing that gets him the most attention and throw it out there. He's going to go ahead and be loudmouth, debate voice guy, but something that's going to get him the most social media views. So, and, the, and I'm, I'm going to borrow this point from, from Danny. He's the host in Chicago who, who I knew from Syracuse. He said that if LeBron didn't say anything, Jason Whitlock's point would have been LeBron needs to speak up about racist acts against African-Americans. But because he said something, his point is now he doesn't deserve to say something because he's rich. Whatever happens in relation to race, he will take the point opposite of what happened to make a name for whatever it is. Absolutely, he will. That's what Jason Whitlock is going to do. So I agree with you, Rashad. Do not take what he says as truth. Take it as baiting. Take it as something that's going to get you to feel something that's not true because he knows it's not true and he just wants to say it to stir up the pot. That's what Jason Whitlock does.
2: Yeah, his rhetoric is way frankly, more damaging. And frankly, that's what Fox Sports 1 has been doing. App, that's, that's what they do, mind you. If you look, and mind you, this is just LeVar Ball, right? When we, when we talk LeVar Ball, we got a bunch of text about how we hate him, can't stand him, he's an a-hole, whatever the case is. Have you noticed that ESPN very seldom, almost never has LeVar Ball on since like that first initial Final Four uh, or a tournament run that UCLA was on? They haven't really had him back since then. But Fox Sports, because they're looking for clicks, because they're looking for opportunities to be controversial, they have no problem having them on. If you look at all the hosts of Fox Sports, it's a collection of people that nobody likes. Doug Gottlieb. Most people just can't stand Gottlieb I for whatever him. reason. You, you like Gottlieb? No, I hate him. There you go. He's very anti-Syracuse. Skip Bayless. I mean. Yep. One of those guys that just man uh, unanimously uh, Nick Wright, who I'm indifferent about, but you know Syracuse too, kind of whatever. Did, did he really? Yeah. So you probably mess with Nick Wright because yeah. he's your guy. Yeah. I don't have a problem with Nick Wright. I mean, he he can be he can be irritating at times. Colin Cowherd on this station can be incredibly controversial, known for saying some outlandish, borderline racist stuff at points. You know, so you look at the collection of people they have there, and you're like, oh okay, and then you throw in Whitlock, Whitlock, who also did body shaming. Of the one of the best bodies that I've ever seen is Serena Williams, like how is somebody that's built Jason like a, Whitlock did Jason body Whitlock made some made some comments about Serena Williams and oh, uh, her her weight at some point, and I'm like, how is a dude that's built like a, a, a washing machine with the with the door open have the nerve to talk about Serena Williams and blast her weight? Like I'm I'm it's it's so crazy to me like that that this dude in the fedora has the audacity to say some of the things that he says on a on a daily basis and for me if you see me going into jason whitlock on twitter please feel free to retweet it all right coming up
1: next hate it or love it time but first jesse has SportsCenter. center
0: In sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 the fan.
3: 1035. Lynch is late. What are you doing, man? He's taking cues from his uh counterparts there on primetime.
2: Oh yeah. Is Rob usually late coming back to what is, what's was happening? Is
1: Rob usually late coming back to?
3: It can be from time. That to time. That was the shortest
1: break ever. Like I left after your update. <laughs> I thought I had three minutes.
3: No, you had a minute and a half. We're we're getting back on time here. Wait, wait, we wait, we wait.
2: may have been a little over
3: right there, just a little.
2: Bit. I was just,
1: I was like, what? The lights are
3: back on. All right. <laughs> well, it's hater love it time. <laughs> Let's go, Jesse. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, it's kind of a slow part of the year. Not a lot going on. Um, I don't even think there's really good hate-it-or-love-it topics for the NBA Finals. So, we're going to dig deep. We're going to throw some things out there. Um, there is one. We'll, we'll start with the NBA since, you know, it is game two tonight or this afternoon. Um, there is an interesting kind of thought process out there um, about the Golden State Warriors and Steve Kerr. And obviously, we've seen Steve Kerr out extended time last year. Um, got the coach of the year award, obviously out extended time this year in the playoffs, really not going to be coaching at all in the playoffs. And Golden State hasn't missed a beat. With that being said, Luke Walton, Mike Brown's success has shown Kerr's greatness as a coach has been overstated. Ooh. I'll
1: say hate. I'll say hate because they are assistants to Steve Kerr. So Steve Kerr created a style of offense, they created a type of atmosphere in the locker room and they created this juggernaut of a, he created a juggernaut of a team that these assistant coaches can now go into and step in and do as little as humanly possible. We know Mike Brown is not a good coach. We know that Luke Walton had done nothing up until that point and they were still winning games. I almost feel like that's a positive to Steve Kerr versus a negative to Steve Kerr. I feel like Steve Kerr is the guy who set it all up. It's not, he has great players, don't get me wrong, of course he does, he's got the best team in the NBA. But it is not easy to get four bona fide superstars in this league together and playing without being selfish and giving up shots. It's really difficult to do that. Coaching a team in all sports is not just about the strategy, it's not just about the tactics and the plays and the lineups. It's about managing a locker room even more so than, than the rest, because when you have the best players of the best, they're going to go out and do what they do. No matter what you look at baseball, you look at uh, soccer, you look at football, you know, you can set the plays and all that kind of stuff, but they're going to do as well as they can do. Cause they're talented athletes. It's about managing their personalities in the locker room. That's even more important than people give it credit for. Steve Kerr is an incredibly positive person. He doesn't complain. He's kind of made this, maybe Pete Carroll-esque atmosphere, if you want to use an example from a different sport, that works. And it works because it's rare. Because a lot of coaches are very negative and they're angry and they scream and they yell. Steve Kerr is not like that and Pete Carroll is not like that. And they've created winners doing that. So with that said, I hate that Steve Kerr is overrated because he's the one who made this all for everybody else to sit in and just work.
3: Um...
2: Jeez, Louise! That's a tough question. Um, I'm, I'm, you know what? and this, is, I am going to love that he is just a little bit overrated for the for the simple fact that, um, yes, Steve Kerr did, I guess, put together the, um, the playbook as far as the plays that they're going to run and and the style of play in which they're going to play. Um, Steve Kerr also got incredibly lucky. He didn't have to draft any of these guys. He didn't have to go out and get any of these guys as free agents agency Kevin Durant came over basically on his own accord from everything we've heard this move for Kevin Durant has been a year in the making two years in the making for for them nobody we didn't know exactly how close he and Draymond Green were and we saw at the beginning of last year Steve Kerr was out for the first 28 games and they went on a 28 game win streak the longest win streak that the NBA has ever seen and then they were able to move forward and Luke Walton was able to get himself a great job in in LA based off of what he was able to do with that team last year And then you look at this year and the simple fact that this Warriors team with Kevin Durant, you could put them out there with me as your head coach, and I guarantee that they're going to run through the Western Conference because uh, 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 an AC Blazers team with no perimeter defenders, a Utah team with no other scoring outside of of Gordon Hayward wasn't going to do it, and then... uh, who did they play last? A-, a hobbled San Antonio Spurs team without the be- one of the best players in the world in this squad that De- were definitely going to do it for him. So I'm looking at Steve Kerr saying that. L- all that being said, his team is still undefeated going through the playoffs, and he hasn't been there for one game. He's won two games. Well, he was the there final- for two, right? Two two games. Excuse me. He's been there for two of the ten win of the uh, twelve wins that the- that the team has had, and yet still. They are three games away from winning the NBA championship, possibly two? without. I'm not. I don't even know if he played. Was he? Was on I, I the think bench? he played. He missed. He coached game the first two, two
3: Blazers games. I thought. I but. thought he missed game two of the Blazers and was Perfect. out from there on. So
2: either way, you played. You've coached less than three games, and yet and still your team is three games away from winning two out of three championships. <laughs> so. I think that's something to be said for the team rather than every great coach. Sometimes you just get lucky. You just get to put in a situation to where you're lucky. You look at uh, what Doc Rivers had when he was in Boston. He just got really lucky because he was a perennial loser when he was in Orlando and when he came to Boston before that. And now that he's in Clipperland, he's just as inept. So uh, just want to point this out. Mark
1: Jackson with a somewhat similar team. Couldn't do what Steve Kerr did with the Warriors.
2: Mark Jackson, with that same team, won 55 games though, and mind you, and that's without knowing that Steph Curry would be Steph Curry right and with, within the next year. Mind you, that same year, Steph Curry got snubbed in the All Star game for David Lee, and everybody said, "Yeah, David Lee should be in the All Star game over Steph Curry." That word, and that's that's where that's where it was. And the one thing I will give him credit for is for as a jump shooter, making putting your jump shooter, your best jump shooter,
3: on on in the spotlight. That's the one thing I think he did really well. Alrighty. Um, Let's move, transition a little bit to some NFL football. We got some NFL off-season storylines. Um, one of them being, so Le'Veon Bell got the franchise tag this year. Uh, part of that, uh, what allows him to miss OTAs basically until about a week, two weeks before the beginning of the season. So because of the franchise tag, Le'Veon Bell doesn't need to be at the off-season workouts um, with that being said, we kind of had a new guy come come into the spotlight this last year and t- kind of take some shine off of Lavian Bell's title as the best running back in the league. So I'm saying Zeke Elliott is now the best running back in the league. Love or hate, Lavian Bell will outrush Zeke Elliott in this upcoming season.
1: Wait, is it actually... Is that a thing? You don't need to go to OTAs if you're franchise tag, or it's just become expected because you're frustrated you got tagged, you skipped the voluntary workout? No,
3: he's he's going to be guaranteed his entire contract. He's not going to lose any money for not being at OTAs. Okay. But they um, are
1: voluntary, remember, so yeah. it's, it's more of like a statement, like why did you franchise tag me kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, Um, I'll love it because I think Zeke Elliott's going to have a little bit of a down year this year. It's not, not to say that Zeke Elliott's going to have a bad year, definitely not but I think the Cowboys in general are kind of trending in that direction of having a year where they go a little bit down from last year. Last year was a very kind of, for lack of a better term, blessed season. Everything went right. They still have a very good offensive line, but you had a rookie quarterback who was thrust into the spotlight who all of a sudden turned into a great player. You had a rookie running back who was top five pick, who was supposed to be great, play as great as he was going to, There is something called the sophomore slump. Most players cannot avoid the sophomore slump. Teams will adjust to the type of play that you have. Uh, And it might not be Zeke Elliott. It might just be Zach Prescott is not as good this year or they try to give too much to Zeke Elliott where he has to, they want to, everything I've been reading is they want him to catch more passes this year. Maybe that extra layer is a little bit too much. And he starts to lose some of his, his running ability. Cause he's focused so much on catching passes or he gets hurt when he's got out on the outside and he's catching a pass. Uh, Le'Veon Bell has been in the league consistently. As long as he stays healthy, um, he's been good in the league consistently. And as long as he stays healthy, he'll be a guy who will outrush Ezekiel Elliott this year.
2: Uh, I'm gonna love that Zeke is gonna have more yards than Le'Veon, um, simply because I don't. We don't know if Le'Veon's gonna be able to stay healthy. Uh, we know he ended up leaving uh, the AFC Championship game against the Patriots because of some undisclosed injury at that point. So um, we've seen Le'Veon miss some time during the season. Uh, mind you, Zeke is only going into a second season, so we haven't seen him miss anything. But the one thing we can also say is Ezekiel Elliott plays behind what we all consider the best offensive line in all of football. Last year he had 322 touch, uh, carries in 15 games, and he had 15 touchdowns. And then he caught uh, caught one touchdown pass uh, with 363 yards on, on the season. So he's somebody that can definitely make it happen. I, I look for th- these things to happen out of the play action a lot of the times. Um, out of I, I could see that being um, something happening. I see a lot of screens and things like that set up between Dak and between Ezekiel Elliott, I think Dak is looking to get better as a quarterback. But with that being said, I think this offensive line over the past three years has shown that no matter who's behind us, we're going to make it happen. Uh, entering Joseph Randall Randall, um, uh, what's the guy? What's the uh, Demarco Murray? You know, anybody like that, anybody that's played behind this Dallas offensive line uh, has done nothing but great things. And so I look at that. The question I have for Dallas is, will their defense be able to keep up? with their offense. I think we know that Dak.
1: They don't have any secondary anymore. They have no
2: secondary <laughs> at this point. So now we're trying to figure out exactly who stops somebody on the defensive end because I think uh Ezekiel Elliott I think is going to go for over 1000 yards and possibly, you know, seven, 15 to 17 touchdowns again this year behind that great offensive line. And they're playing the playing the AFC West this year and really outside of the Denver Broncos and possibly the Chiefs. Like whose defense really scares you from the AFC? You the got Raiders? Khalil Mack on the Raiders. I mean, does that, that defense scare you though? Khalil Mack definitely scares you. Does the defense from the Raiders scare Joey you?
3: Joey Bosa's is right? really good now. You know, so I think Even I think the there's chargers. I think
2: that's kind of the question for me. But yes, I do think he'll have more uh, yards. Is that what you said? A better rushing season? I think he'll have better yeah, rushing more, season yeah. than Ezekiel than uh, da- uh Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell. Excuse me.
3: All right, um, we we are gonna do a quick lightning round. I mean, I mean, quick. So you got to keep your answers short for this one. We're gonna transition the to the Ben's college about to World Series. Yes, <laughs> I um, college World Series. OSU uh, historic season. Yes, um, historic season. We should throw that in there in some way, shape, or form on Sports Sunday. We'll do that now. I was gonna bring it up next if I won too. All right. Well, you might get a fifty-one to continue and this on. Um <laughs> Love or hate, OSU will win the College World Series without a loss.
1: Hate, because it's really hard to not lose. And once you get to play the best teams, Oregon State did lose four games this year. It's possible they're not going to go undefeated, but uh, they're going to come really, really close. They are so stinking good. And they did beat, if you didn't see, they beat Yale yesterday to essentially lock up the regional final, and uh, they're going to play the winner of the Holy Cross-Yale game because Nebraska lost twice. It's double elimination, by the way, for those who don't know. But no, they will not go undefeated through it. That's really incredibly hard to do, but I do think they will win it this year because of just how dominant they have been. They've got some of the best players in the country all on the same team.
2: Um, Obviously, i don't start following the college baseball season until right around this time, especially if Oregon, Oregon State is in. Oregon, not that, not that great this year. Oregon State, Obviously, doing what Oregon State does, and number they're one pretty one much pretty one much dominant. Number one, number one right now, or excuse me, they're uh, eighth moment. Uh I don't know. Uh, like you said, it's really hard to go undefeated. You know, at this point, um, you're playing against the best of the best. Now, mind you, would think we all tend to think, especially here in this region, that Oregon State is the best. They were ranked number one all year, um, so I mean it's 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 hard for me to say that they wouldn't. But I think at this point, you're playing against. Who do they have next? Lynch? You said who? Well,
1: they're going to play the winner of Yale Holy Cross, but they've already. I'm pretty sure they've already clinched.
2: Yeah, so I'm going to be honest. I know nothing about Yale or Holy Cross. I know <laughs> Yale is. Well, Oregon three. State beat Holy Cross eight to two, and then Yale eleven nothing in the last two days. Well, there you go. So if that's the case, and they're playing teams like that, then I'm definitely going to say Oregon State. Can win undefeated. I think there's one game in there that they can they can afford to drop, maybe a wake up game. But for the most part, I don't see them going on. Because
1: remember, they're not in the College World Series yet.
2: Yeah. Still, Once they get there, the, that's where the tough teams are. Yeah, these are still like what uh, regionals are. These are the regionals. These, yeah. yeah, and oh. they're in Corvallis. So. Yeah, I don't know. That's 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 tough to say. But if Oregon State showed you anything over the past, I don't know, decade or so, they're pretty damn good at baseball. Yeah. And we've seen
1: them losing. In Omaha, though, before even when they've been really good, because guess you're playing the best teams. You're playing the
2: best teams. It happens, so, man. Baseball. So is the, is the question if they're going to go undefeated or
1: it,
3: through the College World Series? Yes. No, sir. All right. Well, okay. So that wasn't a very good lightning round for us because one, you guys were really long, and two, I only gave out one point, which went to Lynch, which creates a problem here. Is it a tie? It's a tie. Oh, we're – We don't scissors? do ties. We've already had this discussion yeah, before. Yeah, we hate ties. Paper, rock, scissors. All ah, right, one more. This, is gonna be, this one you should be able to do lightning round. Okay. All right. One of the more interesting like trades yes, no in the NFL <laughs> this year was basically a second round pick to Cleveland for Brock. Everybody thought Brock was instantly going to be um, cut, but he is currently in OTAs. Working with Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson's saying he's looking great. Love or hate, Brock Osweiler will be your starting quarterback in Cleveland week one. Love, because what else do they have right now? They don't have a lot of other options. And if he's
1: actually impressing them, then sure, give him another chance because he got paid $72 million by the Texans for <laughs> a half of a good year with the Broncos. And maybe that'll come back. I don't know. But the Browns, what do the Browns have to lose? Maybe Brock Osweiler is good and. You just couldn't play in Houston with Bill O'Brien. So, yeah, go ahead. Be the starter.
2: Uh, Love? (laughs) Uh, I mean... It's that it's like this. You're gonna put Cody Kessler out there. Or you're gonna put Kevin Hogan out there. I think you're gonna go Brock Osweiler. You're gonna go with the one guy who's at least had a, a trip to the Super Bowl. Maybe didn't play in it, but you're gonna look at the dude who at least has some experience as the starter. Maybe Bill O'Brien was again just a bad idea. Was just a bad fit possibly. But I don't know how much more like you're the Browns do. are a better fit. And on top of that, you lost your best receiver, who could have been your backup quarterback if Cleveland didn't let him go. Uh, so who knows? Well, and Josh Gordon's still not back yet. So. So, yeah, and Kenny Britt is your best receiver. So. The Browns All are right. an absolute mess.
3: Your winner, Mike. Oh wait, that's the wrong one there. Wait, how's uh-huh. he a winner? Winner, Mike Lynch. Wait a minute, didn't we just get, didn't I just get a point too? Yeah, but he got two. How
2: How'd he get two? Uh,
3: he he talked about the money. Oh, get that. And then me. he talked about um, <laughs> what do they have to lose? do going I quit the show? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bye. Don't be a sore <laughs> loser. <laughs> All right, we're talking
3: College World Series next.
1: Coming up next, give the beef some love because guess what? We don't do it enough. This is Sports Sunday on 1080.
0: Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan.
1: have To play this song, do, do <laughs> you ever do, 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 do? Hey, you get to sing along when you win, too. When I win, I want you to play Picture Me Rolling by Tupac. <laughs> this is the winner bed, that's what I want. To this be is a, labeled winner bed. To be in
3: my winner bed, or don't bang. you want your
1: winner bed to be Robot Unicorn Attacks?
3: This, I think it's Robot Unicorn Attacks 2 or something.
1: Well, yes, that one. Um, I wanted to give some love to Oregon State, who it's 51 and 4 this year, which is insane. They've won their first two games by a score of 19 to 2 over Holy Cross and Yale in the regional, in the Corvallis regional. <laughs> Thank you. We're just gonna give them more love. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were looking up and I found the, uh, the record books in PDF form online. I didn't know what the record for most wins and winning percentage was. Um, Oregon State will not get most wins unless they have this many games left which I don't think they do. Wichita State in 1982 won 73-14. and 14. Yeah. I can't imagine that there's still 22 games left now that they're already into like the playoff round here. The best winning percentage is Arizona State in 72. They went 64-6, and six, which I think is reachable. So if Oregon State keeps going at this pace, they might set the record for best winning percentage over Arizona State, which was 9-1-4 that year. Um, but just got to give Oregon State some love. They're playing really well. They've got... Some of the best players in the country, all on one team. Pat Casey does an incredible job playing uh playing their uh or leading that team there. So gotta Gary, give Oregon State some
2: love. I think Gary Anderson should get with Pat Casey and you know, also maybe Tinkle and see, hey man, how are you what are your recruiting tactics? How how can we get good at well, this part too? Gary, now mind you, Gary Anderson's Anderson has done well. much better, you know, at recruiting. I think Tinkle, you know, had, had some for injury a issues. You know, had it for a second. I think I think people had a lot of expectations for the Beavs this year, especially considering how well they did last year in basketball. But, you know, the, the baseball team is the one squad that's going to hold it down for the Beavers. So, man, shout out to Oregon State and everybody up there in Corvallis is doing their thing. Go get them. Go get them indeed. Keep winning. Make
1: the Northwest proud. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we'll be back next week. Once again, I'll be out next week. Apologies, but... Uh... My wife and I are going on our anniversary trip the week following, so I'll be out that weekend. But I will be back the weekend after, despite still being on my vacation. But I will return. So uh, just Rashad and Jesse again next week. Plenty to talk to you about the NBA Finals, I imagine, and many more Blazers discussions. Rumors will be hot and heavy as the draft is getting closer and closer. But enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Rashad and Jesse will be back the week after, and I'll be back in two. We'll see you then.